Vacation starts with VA. One thing you'll love about your trip to Virginia is that you'll never have to settle for one thing. All that you love is all in one trip. Start yours at virginia.org. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. If uh, Lisa Left Eye Lopez ever had to do much literal chasing of waterfalls, I suspect not. But uh, unfortunately, there are a whole lot of people around the world who don't have access to clean water, which is something that uh, so many of us take for granted. And uh, I discovered this terrific organization called Waves for Water, and I'm very pleased to welcome Rob McQueen, the Field Operations Director uh, for Waves for Water, to tell us a little bit more about it. Rob, uh, good morning. Thanks so much for joining me on the radio. Good morning, Frank. Thanks for having me on, brother. All right, Rob, uh, before we talk about what Waves for Water actually does, uh, how many people around the world would you say actually have a tough time with um, with getting access to clean water? So I think the last stat I saw was roughly one in three people uh, don't have access to clean water. That is absolutely amazing. Yeah, it's unreal. And when you really think about it that way, something that we take for granted, uh, especially you know here in, in, in the U.S. and other developed countries, the fact that I can go just turn on a tap and have a glass of water immediately uh, just that's not the way the most of the world works, and that's not the life that most people have. Like it takes a process to get clean water. If you can even get through that process and get to that access, so often you're left with just what you have at hand. So, what does that mean if someone is in a community where they don't have access to clean water? Mm-hmm. What does that mean for them, lifestyle-wise? What does that mean for them, health-wise? What does that mean for their long-term uh, prospects? What does that mean for their life if they don't have access to clean water? 
Man, I mean, that's such a broad question because, you know, when you think of clean water, obviously we always think of the health and health impacts, right? Like you have to have water to live. You have to have access to clean water for your children to grow and be healthy. But if you really break it down and look at it, it affects every aspect of life. So if you don't have immediate access to clean water, let's say there's kind of two ways you can work this, right? One, you have access and the resources to buy clean water, or you have the ability to go get water, boil it, and work through that system to create clean water on your own. Both of those create a huge amount of resources. And in most of these areas, any of those resources are going to drain your ability to kind of expand your family, put money into, the, into your community, put money into your children, have things move forward. Uh, I worked at a small village in the Amazon, and I think that village, they pooled their money together to do medical trips once a week that were based almost entirely on waterborne illness. And I think they were spending close to half of their monthly money that that village made just taking kids to a small village up north of Cabaya Cocha in Peru, taking their children and the people that were sick on boats to the small village that had a small doctor uh, four or five, I think it was four and a half hours away. So when you look at it from that aspect, like it's not just, oh, my kid's sick, I have to move on. Now you're reducing opportunities. You're move, removing man hours from people that are working. You're limiting the children's ability to be educated and mm. grow. So it is a absolutely cornerstone of society to have that basic need that you have to have met in order for anything else to happen. Where are most of the places that uh, that don't have clean water? Do they tend to be in clusters uh, geographically or is it uh, around the world? It's around the world. It's absolutely around the world. Like I've been in some countries where, you know, in the city, it's possibly safe to drink. The second you get outside of it, uh, you run into that issue because water itself, I mean, it is a heavy infrastructure burden to create clean water for everybody. There's a lot of places that do have, you know, fresh mountain water, water they've been drinking forever. But even then, those non-filtered or those non-treated water sources, all it takes is a heavy rainfall or a flash flood or a change in animal patterns that can kind of contaminate those existing water sources. So it really is really narrowed down to the areas that have water infrastructure in place, testing and the rest of it is just, man, I mean, it's, it's almost a financial issue when you look at the society. Uh, talking with Rob McQueen, he's with the group Waves for Water. You can learn more about them at their website, wavesforwater.org. Uh, Rob, tell me about your group. What do you guys do? So we do access to clean water in remote and austere environments. So we focus heavily in disaster areas uh, and really just kind of look at where we can take our small filtration system and training to the areas that large water infrastructure is not going to get to and where we can make an impact on people's lives. Are you guys um, nonprofit? Are you for profit? What's you, how are you guys organized? We are a five hundred one c three nonprofit. Absolutely great. So if people go on there and they make a donation to you, yep. uh, chances are they can actually get a tax deduction as well. Uh, yeah, absolutely. All right, yeah, good. Definitely. That's good. Good around tax time. Um, okay, so you you guys will set up an infrastructure allowing these groups that uh, that don't have access to clean water to harvest rainwater and filter it so that it's something that can be used not only for consumption, but for things like bathing. Yeah, in areas where there aren't really solid groundwater sources that our filtration systems will work on, uh, we do construct rain harvesting systems and then run that into our filtration systems. Yep. And Rob, how did you get involved with uh, Waves for Water? What, what sparked your interest in this? What's your background? 
So I spent uh, 18 years in the U.S. military, majority of that in special operations. And so I was actually working out of the U.S. Embassy in Sarajevo uh, when the massive flooding hit in uh, 2014. So John Rose, the founder of Waves for Water, had worked with a friend of mine in Afghanistan. I called him up. I was like, hey, you that filter guy? And he's like, yeah, I was like, you want to come over and do some work with me in Bosnia? And so we ended up borrowing a, a Bosnian helicopter, old UH-1 Huey with post-it notes, a uh, pilot that barely spoke English and flew around to about five different villages, helped over 20,000 people that were just cut off and had contaminated water sources. So from there, John and I became friends, uh, reached out a few years later, and he asked me to start, uh, help him found a veterans division inside of Waves for Water uh, in order to kind of leverage the skills that veterans have and also create a new team and purpose as almost kind of a dual humanitarian mission. And so we founded the Clean Water Corps together, Waves for Water's veteran division. Uh, we now have 40 vets that we've sent to 27 different countries. Uh, so that's, it's, been, it's been a great ride. Uh, that's terrific. Uh, absolutely uh, terrific. Now, when there is a, a disaster, uh, be it an, an environmental or ecological disaster like a, mm-hmm. a hurricane or something along those lines, or something that's a result of uh, of a war, like what might happen mm-hmm. in Yemen or Ukraine, does that have any sort of an immediate impact on the water supply? Absolutely. Uh, Ukraine's a perfect example. Uh, we, I was just over in Ukraine in November, uh, and what happened, Russia actually turned off. Like when they moved into uh, the area just outside Mykolaiv, uh, they actually turned off the water supply, which moved from the east to west into Mykolaiv. So immediately you had uh, a water crisis. So we had to work through different systems in order to find ways that we could help them collect rainwater and use our filtration systems, filter the existing systems they had, and in the end, actually starting to run uh, some of the help, some of the other organizations that were running literal blivets of water in trolley cars in order to meet that need. So in a war, absolutely it's there. And in every environment, water becomes kind of the most critical system immediately after a catastrophic event. And your group, Waves for Water, is, I know, a nonprofit, but it's been described as sort of a guerrilla humanitarian organization. Mm-hmm. Why, why use that term, guerrilla humanitarian organization? What makes you guys different and how you handle these challenges compared with a conventional uh, major 501c3 like the American Red Cross or something along those lines? I think, you know, every every nonprofit has their place and their role in this. Sure. And, and the way that we approach guerrilla humanitarianism, the thought process is, is when you look at large bureaucracies, and those big 501c3s are large bureaucracies, they work inside of a big system. And those big systems miss needs on the ground, right? They're just not agile enough. They're bound by too many restrictions in the way they operate. So being a guerrilla humanitarianism, we're kind of that guerrilla fighter, if you look at it from that thought process. Like, we're willing to buck the system. We're willing to bend the rules a little bit as long as we get to the people in need and do and, and be honest in our effort to help them. And so we're kind of that, like, light, nimble organization that's willing to get out there and make a difference. Uh, but we're not always going to play by the rules, I guess you could say. <laughs> sure. Uh, we're talking with Rob McQueen. Check him out, wavesforwater.org. Obviously, there's the great work that you're doing. You're helping a lot of people around the world. But we're also seeing that right now the global population is still growing. And I'm sure Mm -hmm. a lot of the problems uh, that come with water supply might be growing as well. Is the mission that you guys have to get water to people that need it, is it getting more difficult as time goes by, or are you guys making significant global progress in terms of getting more people access to water? 
there are some great organizations out there working in it. So I would say as a whole, the water space, I think it's a little bit of both, right? Um, like yes, more people access clean water. The control of water is an interesting topic to discuss. It's not, not one I'm an expert in, but I know there's some challenges. But really, when you look at it from our perspective, we are making strides. It is moving forward. There's so much work to be done. But it's just something that we're, we're going to keep driving on with. We're going to keep working on. Uh, and as long as we can move forward in our efforts, everyone can move that path, and technology begins to grow and change, I think the only thing that makes it easier is starting to see technologies, uh, everything from solar panels that can pull water out of the air to advanced filtration systems that work quickly and well with low energy. Those are the things that are going to make a huge difference as we really start to address this need. Uh, Rob, has your work in the military, whether it was in Sarajevo or in other places, maybe Afghanistan or or elsewhere, Mm -hmm. has your work in the military helped uh, prepare you for the kind of work you're doing now? And if so, how? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I spent time as an infantryman before special operations. Uh, deployed to Iraq, where I worked with I think, nine different tribal elders and over 900 volunteers uh, as part of the, the awakening. And then I worked in a small village in Afghanistan with a joint special operation element, uh, working in working living in small villages. Uh, so really, the skill sets I had. I'm one of those few people that left the military and basically got to take the skill sets I grew, I groomed, which was working with small teams, austere remote environments, local culture local partners, and then taking it and applying it directly to my next job. And because really what we do at Waves for Water is it's a small filtration system. It's training, but it's identifying local partners, teaching them, training them, and giving them the tools so they can own that that, that program. They can make a difference in their community, and then we can continue to do that and expand versus being the guys that come in there over and over and over again. So it really does all the experience in special operations really translated perfectly into doing this. Something tells me you're not the only veteran that's involved in Waves for Water. No, no. I've got 40 other vets that work with me, and we I just sent a team on their second trip to Turkey. Uh, and on Friday, we take another team over to Madagascar. So we're always working. We've got a great crew. Well, that's terrific. People could check out the website, wavesforwater.org, and learn more about what you guys are doing. Uh, Rob, thanks for taking the time, and uh, and thanks, more importantly, for what you're doing. Hopefully people will listen, contribute, and learn more about uh, what is an urgent global need. Hey, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you. Rob McQueen, the group is Waves for Water. Uh, terrific. Terrific nonprofit organization, and uh, they are battling a lot of problems all over the globe. You want to comment on any aspect of what we've uh, we, we've discussed? You're welcome to call me eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. That's eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. This is the other side of midnight. Straight ahead. The other side of midnight. 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 midnight